the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney, and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And as I've shared with you in the past, in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I'm a master of the laws of taxation law and also a master of the laws of intellectual property law. Now, because of my training and my experience and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and wealth and wealth preservation and wealth transfer and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. And, as you know, I also practice its first cousins, debt, wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and their sometimes wayward offspring, taxation law. And I'm also proud to say that as part of my practice, I also sometimes have the opportunity to at least seek out and attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the targets and unfortunately more and more sometimes the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that you can imagine. Now, Again, before we begin, I must ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances. And hopefully I can provide you with at least a general outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help if you have a legal matter that's related to your finances and or your assets. And I do this because, as I'm known for saying, I believe that representing yourself in a legal matter, but especially one that's concerning your finances and your assets, it's just like taking a butter knife or, as they sometimes say about uh, Democrats when dealing with Republicans, Democrats take a soup ladle to a gunfight. If you take your butter knife or your soup later to the gunfight and you're lucky with your butter knife, you might be able to sneak up on your adversary and if she's napping, you can scratch her on the arm or even poke her in the eye. But more than likely, it's going to be you that's going to be dead on arrival. That is to say, your valid claims and your righteous defenses will likely see the promised land way before you do. 
So once again, I must share with you the purpose of Cell Women's Law, in case you haven't guessed it. It's to discuss the law related to your money and or your overall finances and what you need to consider to protect your money and your families and your small businesses, wealth and health and money related issues as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening forum. Now, uh, have you ever wondered why you sometimes end up in a particular place and time and your interactions with the people you meet there at that place and time, be they good or bad, and the results of which so impress you and have so impacted your life at the time that you were moved to ask yourself and more importantly God why am I here and what life's lesson am I supposed to take away from this situation from this meeting from this random meeting well speaking for myself in my earlier years I had way more what's up with that moment than I had with aha that's what that means moment However, as I've grown older and I become, you know, because of my natural curiosity and my never-ending quest to learn about innovative ideas and new tools for us all and the creative, interesting, and good people who create them and how these new things and people work together, throughout my life, I've had the great fortune to have had the opportunity to engage in all kinds of activities and meet new and interesting people and witness and sometimes even be a minor player in a few of the major events that have taken place in the world since I've been here on the planet. Most of them have been very good, but unfortunately, like the rest of us, I've had some bad experiences too. For example... Because of the timing of my birth in the mid-1950s, I started off my education in the segregated South. And like many of my cohort, I lived part of my life through that racial strife that was part of the 1960s. And I also took part in the 1970s women and civil rights movement. And in both of those decades, I was involved in school integration and backlash issues that ensued. Now, these memories, some of which are not very nice. And unfortunately, as it appears that racism, which I have come to realize, is always going to be just below the surface in our society, and it seems to be coming back, those memories of what I thought were relics of the good old, 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 bad old past in the bygone days are once again coming back into stark relief. On the other hand, I've had the great honor of meeting three distinct, separate United States presidents in person and another by correspondence. And as an accidental lobbyist, I've been able to convince members of the California legislature and the United States Congress to sponsor bills to to support the financial growth and independence of women and communities of color. And as an accidental community activist, 
I've negotiated deals with the heads of several major financial institutions that establish goals and timetables to increase lending opportunities for families and businesses in historically underserved communities. And more importantly, as a serious citizen of the world and a child of God, I've met scores of kind and generous people of all races and all walks of life from all around this world who've offered me great advice and support on how to live a good life and make a contribution to society, including some really great bus drivers and housewives and grandmothers and educators and school children and young adults, as well as some great lawyers and judges and bankers and entrepreneurs. And since I've become a lawyer, I've met many others who've done me the great honor of allowing me to attempt to help them with their financial and legal matters. But you know, at the time I met each person and experienced these events and many others, I thought them to be discreet happenings, most of which at the time I relished, but to be honest, some of which I regret. However, now that I'm a mature woman of the world, when I reflect back on my life, it has become clearer and clearer to me each day that we all have been put here for some reason, and these discombobulated, discrete instances we live through have some higher cumulative purpose. The purpose may be to do something great for mankind, or it may be sh simply sharing a self-evident truth about something that's being bandied about in some segments of our society for nefarious purposes. So I'm going to share with you on our nation's birthday weekend, and I want to take the time to tell you the truth about a subject that's been denigrated in some segments of the media, such that it's become a boogeyman and a rallying cry for politicians and unfortunately some of their uninformed followers. I am, of course, discussing critical race theory. Now, I first learned about the factual and substantive basis of critical race theory way back in 1980, the end of 1980, the beginning of the 1990s, when I worked for one of the country's great public interest law firms, Public Advocates, which is located in San Francisco. I was hired as its first lay advocate and the founding executive director of its corporate social responsibility program, the Greenlining Coalition. It was my great fortune as part of my job that I had the opportunity to meet with and work with and learn from one of critical race theory's founding authors, and that is to say the late great Professor Derek Bell, who, among many things, was a kind and gentle person and always a gentleman to me. Now, those of you who don't know, Critical race theory, unlike the current mouthpieces that are running around denigrating this topic, it's a legal scholarship theory. And it's based on putting in proper perspective the role that race plays in the United States of America. Not as a means to bully 
or beat up someone or make them feel guilty or have hurt feelings about their privilege, critical race theory is all about recognizing the root problem holding us back from forming a more perfect union. Systemic racism. We have to first focus on what the problem is and then come up with remedies such that we're able to, as a society, develop a fair and equitable set of goals and principles that we all can live with and put racism forever behind us. So when we come back, we'll dig a little bit deeper into the subject du jour, critical race theory. But first, we'll take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion about the who, the what, and why of critical race theory. Again, I first learned about the factual and substantive basis of critical race theory way back in the late 1980s and in the 90s when I went to work for one of this country's great public interest law firm, Public Advocates in San Francisco, where they hired me, and I was not a lawyer, they hired me as their first lay advocate and the founding director of the Greenlining Coalition, which was a coalition of women and uh, communities of color groups throughout the state of California to combat redlining, which is a systemic form of racism that is expressed initially by our government when it limited the ability of farmers and homeowners, especially GIs returning from the war, from being able to have fair access to government lending programs. Now, as part of my job there, I met with all kinds of people in the community, great and small, including people who would stop me at the bus station (laughs) and, and beat me up for being on television and not paying attention to their needs. And I'd quietly and patiently listen to what they had to say, and sometimes they had some very good news. And something that I really needed to share and, and, and to comprehend and to incorporate into the program that we had of communicating with policymakers and leaders about what needed to be done to assist communities that needed to be able to take care of themselves economically and have access to capital, credit, insurance, and technical assistance. Because in order for any segment of society to be able to lift itself up and to carry on in a capitalistic-based society, you needed access to capital, credit, insurance, and technical assistance. If you don't have those things, the only thing available to that particular segment of society are illicit activities, and we don't believe in promoting illicit activities, do we? No. We really don't. So what we need to do, instead of focusing on redlining, is to focus on greenlining. So as part of my job as the executive director of the Greenlining Coalition, as I said, I met with all kinds of of individuals, peoples, and scholars. And it was my great pleasure, as part of my job, 
I had the opportunity to meet with and work with the late, great Professor Derek Bell, who, along with Alan Friedman, Kimberly Crenshaw, Richard Delgado, Cheryl Hines, Charles R. Lawrence III, Mari Matsuda, and Patricia J. Williams, all gigantic legal scholars in their own right, and these men and women provided the legal research and laid the foundation for the legal theories that recognized and confronted systemic racism, the systemic racism that permeates our society still even today. However, unlike the current individuals that you see on the telly or, or in the newspaper who are denigrating this legal scholarship, the legal scholarship that underpins critical race theory because evidently it hurts personally their feelings to have to be informed of their privilege. Critical race theory is all about recognizing the root problem problems holding us as a society back from forming that more perfect union that we celebrate each 4th of July. And that problem, or those problems, some of them anyway, in addition to climate issues, are and remain systemic racism, such that we need to focus as a society so that we can develop fair and equitable remedies to combat racism and move on as a society without it. So, that's, that's what I, I, I wanted to talk to you today. I've been wanting to talk about this subject for some time now because I'm seeing it more and more take hold in the mind's eye of some, especially politicians, who want to use it as a divisive social-based issue for political reasons that I understand, but I want us regular people to understand that critical thinking is part of the legal profession. When I go into court to, to discuss my client's issues... Everybody in the courtroom who opens their mouth is referring to some basis, some theory, some case law, some doctrine that will allow the judge or the jury, but because I work in bankruptcy, I'm mostly talking to a judge, there has to be some basis for my position that I want to put forth for my client. And I have to tell the judge what that is in my paper. You don't just come in and start talking uh, out of your orifices about what you think and hope unless you can tie that to either some precedent, uh, a case that's been decided that's like yours, or some doctrine that has been adopted by the courts based on lots of layers of cases, or you want to push a new theory that's based in reason to open up the mind of a particular judge to be willing to accept a new concept and a, 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 
a controversial sometimes, but certainly one that is within the realm of possibility based on the critical thinking of judges and lawyers who've come before and then expanding on that theory. And that's called critical uh, theory. It's critical thinking is part of the law. Okay, so if in a society, say our society, um, the laws have been put forth that ignore the fact that segments of our society have been denigrated by the law. Some say uh, accidentally. I don't think so. Others say intentionally. So if that's so, you have to confront the problem head on and walk the judge critically through what needs to be resolved. And so this idea of critical race theory is like it's... I heard one politician uh, align it with, with communism. Well, you know, maybe Karl Marx and those guys were using critical theory. Critical theory isn't not in and of itself bad. It's a good thing. And I was really shocked that the person who was associating critical race theory with communism is a, a legal, purportedly a legal scholar himself in his own right. And Everything you do in a court is based on some kind of critical theory. There's critical theories concerning women's rights. Okay, that has become part of the legal uh, discourse that takes place in courtrooms across this country. There's critical tax law theory where, you know, I'm a tax lawyer. You talk about the basis for trying to expand or contract uh, the, the power of the Internal Revenue Service or the Franchise Tax Board. What is wrong with identifying factual things that have happened in this and other countries to individuals based on their race Share that with the court to get a court to make a determination that probably or possibly the theorems that have been there to used to come up with a decision in a courthouse needs to be expanded to look at how, say, uh, a group that I care a whole lot about are black veterans. Black men have been veterans of every war in this country going back to the Revolutionary War. They were not treated very well after the ending of the war. The First World War, they could not get medical treatment such that Tuskegee had to be set up as a place for war veterans to be to go and be treated because they were not necessarily treated in white hospitals. The idea that black and brown men and women who come from service, who serve this country, especially this 4th of July weekend, they, they should have been treated fairly. They were not treated fairly. And then there's a kind of like a twist the knife. Uh, Tuskegee Institute, which was created to serve black veterans, was misused with that syphilis study that's causing ramifications even today where many in the black and brown community do not trust the medical community. So what I, you know, I, I'm sharing with you today on our nation's birthday is the fact that 
learning about our history, the facts of our history, the founding of our country, and how some of us have not been treated fairly and how the law is there to treat us all fairly. We need to push the envelope by identifying facts. And if some of us are smart enough to come up with a new theory of how the law needs to be interpreted, we need to give them an attaboy and stop denigrating them. And as you can see, critical race theory is something for lawyers. It's not necessarily taught in elementary school. History needs to be taught in elementary school. And I think um, those who are against critical race theory have misnamed it in the hope of not having our children be well informed about their own history. So, I'm going to leave it there for now. But as always in closing, here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, especially when we need to have a good grounding in critical thinking and American history, something that critical race theory is there to free our minds to help us be able to resolve one of this country's most enduring legacy. And that is, unfortunately, um, um, racism that we need to eliminate to form a more perfect union. A union we need, especially today on our nation's birthday. So, happy 4th of July weekend, and until we meet again, I urge you to please get vaccinated if you haven't, and until you do, mask up, keep your social distance, and wash your hands. Take care. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. 